0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC.
1: Yeah, well look, I guess people who are in compliance roles um, often find themselves in a situation where they need to sell the new regulation to the organisation. <laughs> so look, I think in this case, you know, you can hand over heart say, you know, there, there's some really good aspects to this regulation.
0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor at the GRC Institute and today we have one of our GRCI directors and professor at the Macquarie Business School with a focus on risk governance, Professor Elizabeth Sheedy. Hi, how are you doing, Elizabeth?
1: Hi, I'm really well, thank you, Kwame. Really good to be here.
0: So we're having a bit of a chat because, as our members and listeners would know, our conference is coming up at the end of the year. So we're sort of preempting, maybe giving a bit of a preview of maybe some of the discussions that people will have at the conference. Uh, today, we're talking a, a bit about remuneration. And those of you, those of you listen to the podcast, have read the articles, then you know, Professor Elizabeth name. You know that she's done some research in the past in the area um, and is perfect person for this podcast today. And I think we're talking specifically today about some proposed amendments to the remuneration disclosures, the CPS 511. So I'm just going to jump straight into the questions. You know, we recently saw that that proposal for the strengthening of transparency for remuneration, CPS 511. Um, And, and, you know, Elizabeth, this is something that we've spoken about in the past. And I guess we should start with a bit of history. Why has remuneration been a challenge in the past for organisations?
1: Well, look, um, there's plenty of people that believe that um, poor remuneration practices have contributed to um, poor management practices, uh, and that's been particularly true in the financial services industry, although I don't think it's unique to the financial services industry. Uh, I think it comes down to the fact that a lot of remuneration practices tend to give executives a very short-term focus Uh, And so the implication of that is that risk management is often badly done and uh, customers have been exploited uh, with some really shocking outcomes, uh, as was very apparent uh, in the um, Banking Royal Commission.
0: Uh, Excellent. And, of course, as we alluded to in the beginning, you have done your own research in this space. And I think mostly looking at the financial financial industry uh, specifically, Uh, What what were some of your findings about remuneration and conduct in the financial industry?
1: Mm -hmm. Okay, so our experimental research has evaluated some of the solutions to remuneration that have been proposed by the industry and also by regulators. Um, So one of these proposed solutions is the incorporation of non-financial measures into the determination of bonuses Um, so so we sometimes hear the term uh, you know the balance scorecard Um, another solution that has been proposed is the use of deferrals okay so uh, when you get uh, awarded your bonus you don't receive it right away Uh, you have to wait some time for it uh, and uh, it would be subject to malice and clawback provisions um, so, the research that we've done um, supports, uh, has, is supportive of deferrals, but not the ballot scorecard. Okay, mm-hmm. So, we, we don't think all of these proposals have merit. Well, certainly some, I'll say some proposals have more merit than others. Um, I should say this is experimental research. Um, I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with that concept. Um, it's not a survey. Uh, We get people to actually come into um, our uh, laboratory in the city. Um, We try wherever possible to use finance professionals um, as our guinea pigs. So we have people come into the lab um, and we get them to do certain tasks and we play around with remuneration structures. Um, They get paid in cash uh, at the end of the experimental session. Um, or it could be deferred if we're doing an experiment that involves uh, deferred payment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we see how their behaviour changes depending on the remuneration structure. Um, So it has been a really interesting program of research, and now, uh, uh, yeah, several of the papers have been published in top journals Uh, And, yeah, it's been a very interesting, um, yeah, a very interesting uh, series of research with very obvious um, implications for the industry.
0: So I know that you've had a a bit of a chance to have a look at uh, some of the regulatory responses to some of these issues. And we already alluded to CPS 511 already. And then, of course, the proposed um, sort of amendments to strengthen this Um, what what do you think um, APRA was trying to achieve with the initial CPS 511 and why do they want to strengthen the transparency around it now?
1: Yeah, so um, this uh, CPS 511 uh, re- relates to uh, APRA-regulated entities and it's to ensure that they all these uh, organisations must have um, a remuneration framework with um, a few important elements, uh, what APRA is really going for here is that the remuneration has to be aligned with the business plan, the strategy, but risk management objectives. Okay, So they want to make sure that the remuneration promotes the management of both financial and non-financial risks. Uh, and as part of that, it would support the um, prevention of conduct risk. Um, so, so I'd say that's the broad um, remit of CPS 511. Um, there were some very specific uh, design elements. Um, so, famously, uh, the CPS 511 requires uh, the inclusion of non-financial measures. Uh, into the bonus, um, uh, into the bonus determination. Uh, and it also requires deferrals for senior executives uh, and those people who are considered to be material risk takers. So those things were quite controversial, uh, but they are now uh, enshrined in the, um, the prudential standards. Um, what is new now uh, is that uh, APRO is proposing that uh, entities should publicly disclose information, uh, not only about remuneration design, but also the governance of remuneration and consequence management. So entities have to explain how... They are ensuring that uh, their remuneration practices are consistent with good risk management, that they are actually um, imposing uh, consequences when there are poor outcomes, uh, and uh, you know that, that there is genuine accountability. Because, let's be honest, in the past, this hasn't always been the case. I would say uh, very often um, boards have not done as well as they should have, Uh, and, uh, you know, it's been a case that, um, you know, executives get their bonuses no matter how badly they perform, (laughs) Uh, which is not really the point, is it? The whole point of a a bonus system is that it's to reward good performance, not bad performance. Um, So the idea is that by having all of this publicly disclosed, uh, on the one hand, it's going to help APRA's supervisory activity, okay, so they're going to be able to um, monitor what's going on, and I guess, um, you know, when when things are not going as they should, you know, it'll be easy for them to do something about it. Um, so, yes, so it's going to, by having this e- additional disclosure, it's going to help APRA's supervision. Uh, I also think it's going to be great for shareholders. Okay? Uh, so uh, we're, we're, I think the world has changed a lot in the last 10 or 20 years. We now have uh, a lot of uh, institutional shareholders uh, that are very interested in getting good long-term outcomes that that I don't think shareholders are as short-term focused as what they used to be, especially the big industry super funds that many of us are members of. Um, So it will mean that shareholders will have a lot more information available to them and they will be able to pressure boards um, to lift their game where it's appropriate. And then finally, I guess thinking about my own research agenda, this new disclosure is going to be brilliant for research. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we're going to be able to uh, get have a much idea of what's really going on um, in terms of remuneration. Uh, and so I can see in the future um, we'll be able to um, do some interesting research studies and hopefully expand our knowledge even further in this area.
0: Oh. Yeah, excellent. And I know accountability is another thing that you've obviously looked at as well in the past. So I feel like everything is coming together for you perfectly. Um, I guess, is there anything that you would like to see happen um, in the remuneration space that might improve conduct and consumer outcomes, you know, beyond what the regulators are doing and beyond what changes organizations might be making for the better?
1: okay so let me just pull you up there yes conduct and consumer outcomes are important um, but I would I would perhaps have a broader con I would be more concerned for all kinds of risks okay yeah. so uh, yes um, conduct risk is is a big one but let's not limit it to that so I'm concerned about risks of all kinds um, I think deferrals, work really well based on on our research. And I would encourage uh, organisations in other industries to adopt them, even if if it's not a regulatory requirement, okay? So you don't have to have a regulator after you to introduce deferrals. Uh, It's just really good. It's good policy. It's good practice Um, because let's face it, risk outcomes are not observable in the short term. Uh, You know, you will only really know the outcomes of risk in the longer term, uh, and that's why I believe deferrals are really important. Um, And let's, you know, let's think about some of the other huge risks confronting our society like climate risk. Um, I'm concerned that, you know, what passes for long-term uh, remuneration is often only you know three or four years. Well, I I would argue three or four years is nowhere near enough to take account of some of these major risks such as climate, uh, and I I would prefer to see much longer deferrals uh, applied um, across all industries. Uh, another thing that I would point out is under the under CPS 511. Uh, firms only have to apply deferrals for very senior executives and uh, material risk tankers, I would encourage them to go a lot further down the organisation. Uh, so I'd be applying deferrals um, to, uh, you know, most or most employees in the organisation. If you're receiving a bonus, certainly be above I don't know, 50,000, uh, to put a number on it, I think you probably it's probably at a level where you start to need to think about deferrals. Um, now, a lot of people get very worried about, uh, you know, retaining talent. Um, you know, people are worried that if they introduce deferrals broadly that it's going to be difficult to attract and retain talent. And I do understand it's quite a challenging labour market at the moment. Um, But, again, this is something that we have explored in our research, and we think those fears are really overblown. Uh, We think the evidence suggests that, in fact, talented people um, are not particularly concerned about um, deferrals. Uh, If anything, they welcome additional scrutiny and the ability to prove themselves under, with additional yeah, additional scrutiny and uh, doesn't put them off. So uh, I, I would really encourage people to,
0: um,
1: you know, experiment with wider use of deferrals um, as much as they can.
0: So I guess if someone were uncomfortable with that additional scrutiny, then that should be a red flag for the onboarding process maybe. Well,
1: indeed, that's right. Uh, If someone's uh, that, you know, that would be a really interesting discussion to have. Uh, You know, why are you concerned about uh, deferral and, uh, you know, the additional scrutiny involved with that? Um, I mean, that assumes, of course, that people are getting enough base salary, uh, you know, to to live a decent life. Um, That's, uh, you know, but I, and I also, believe in the concept of deferral premium, okay, so people should, uh, you know, they they should be compensated for the delay, Um, that's, you know, after all, I'm a finance professor, I believe in the time (laughs) value of money, (laughs) (laughs) so um, yeah, but provided there's an appropriate deferral premium, uh, I don't see that talented people are going to be particularly concerned about that.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, we've come down to the final question of the day, and it's been really great having you. And this is, you know, something we do at the end of every podcast. We just try to tease out maybe if you have some words of wisdom or a bit of advice for those who might be listening, who you know, who are just trying to help um, their organisations meet regulatory expectations and beyond.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I guess people who are in compliance roles um, often find themselves in a situation where they need to sell the new regulation to the organisation. <laughs> so look, I think in this case, you know, you can hand over heart, say, you know, there, there's some really good aspects to this regulation, um, particularly the deferrals aspect. Um, you can tell them about the um, excellent research that backs up this, uh, this new regulation. Interestingly, it is going to affect you guys specifically because uh, what APRA are proposing is that the um, disclosure has to cover not only the CEO, the senior managers, material risk hackers, but also um, risk compliance people and financial control people. So you might find your own um, remuneration uh, situation being disclosed um, although I do point out, you won't be uh, your individual remuneration um, won't be disclosed. It will be done more on a cohort basis, so that will protect your privacy. Um, yes, yeah, so it's going to be really interesting for you guys um, in risk and compliance roles uh, to be experiencing this greater level of disclosure. Um, and I guess there's pros and cons of that. You're going to see. Uh, you'll be able to see what's happening in other organisations, uh, you know, how your own organisation compares. Uh, I think it's going to create some really interesting discussions in the, uh, in the GRC community, uh, and it's you yourselves are going to be um, personally affected by this. So I would say lean into it uh, and uh, look to see what positive can come out of it.
0: Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Elizabeth. My pleasure. This podcast was a production of the Governance, Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.